Welcome to the Oxygen Advantage podcast with your hosts, Oxygen Advantage founder Patrick McKeown and Daniel Paulson. With the Oxygen Advantage podcast, we aim to show how functional breathing is an essential part of a healthy and well-balanced lifestyle. Each episode, we meet experts in their field from around the world and talk about their lives, their experiences, and how they learned the importance of breathing. Join us and get inspired. Get the Oxygen Advantage. Hello, everybody. And uh, yeah, delighted to, to talk with Susanna, who's hailing from Copenhagen, and Daniel's just across the water in Malmo. And Susanna has, we met Susanna about two months ago, face to face. We were giving a workshop in Belfast. And the whole topic of conversation came up about ice cold. So it's really topical out there. And Susanna has a PhD thesis on it. So she's an authority on all things cold and brown fat. So Susanna, it's a pleasure to have you here. It's it's great. I think the conversation is going to be interesting. Now, as I said, I know nothing about the cold. So I'm going to really step back in this one. <laughs> And for me, sometimes I just can't get my head around why anybody would bother to jump into an ice bath. But I've done it a couple of times. Yeah, uh, not so sure, but uh, convert me. But uh, tell us a little <laughs> bit about your background, how you got into it. And uh, let's get let's get the conversation flowing. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was so nice to see you a couple of months ago when uh, I went to one of your workshops. Um, and uh, yeah, so the cold the water and the breathing is really uh, connected and, uh, and it, it, we can really benefit from, from learning how to breathe calmly and, and light uh, during uh, cold water immersion. So, but initially, actually, I started my PhD in the, the brown fat, the healthy fat. Um, and uh, that was the reason why I started looking into what is actually happen happening when you go uh, into the cold, the cold air, cold rooms, or just getting cold on your skin, but also going into the cold water. So um, my thesis is, uh, is actually about our metabolism. Um, and what happened was that um, I had this... Uh, science topic of the brown fat and figuring out how can I do a research study in humans because there's there's been some studies do in in the you could say in rodents and also cell models saying that if you get cold on your skin then they will activate your brown fat because norepinephrine will be released from your nervous system because you activate the sympathetic nervous system and that will uh, activate our brown cells which will then increase our heat in our body so that is to protect us from becoming hypothermic um, and then i got the idea then what about winter swimmers because they go into the cold water all the time so do they have more brown fat because when you expose yourself to uh, to cold all the time we've seen rodent studies that the brown fat can increase in volume. And if that, if we can increase the volume of brown fat in the body, then we will have more cells to uh, increase our metabolism, increase our heat in our body. Because when the brown fat is activated, it takes up sugar and fat from the bloodstream and uh, thereby we can burn some calories. So that is really what researchers are doing right now. And it's really a hot topic uh, in metabolism increasing our brown fat did you actually did you do winter swimming or ice swimming before you do the study or did you start doing it because of your study yeah exactly so i would say um i was pretty much like patrick because i was like 
man, I'm going to study something that I really reject. I don't want to go into the cold. I'm comfortable. I feel fine at the, at the just neutral temperatures. But I have to say that I was also a person that was really, I can maybe call myself a, a cold sissy because I was so scared of the cold all the time. I, I freeze really easily. Um, so the thought of that was really not, uh, not something that I, appealed to me at least. So going into this research, I was like, okay, if I do this at some point, I will have to try it at least. So yeah, that's uh, so I did the this I did start up the research and I did do some field research, uh, just observing winter swimmers, how do they do it in Denmark, uh, noting down how how is this a good thing and how long do they stay in the water. So it took me a year just to get like data on how is this actually done in practice. Um, but the winter swimmers were all like seeing that I was doing this study. So they were, they were saying, oh, Susanna, you cannot study this without trying. So you have to get into the water. And at, at some point they convinced me. And I must say the first three times, mm, <laughs> I was not having it. It was not something I liked. I know that some got some get hooked the first time, and I wish I had it like that, but it wasn't like that for me at, at all. So, but by the time of four or five times, I was not scared of the water anymore. I was not really scared of getting cold like that anymore. And that is when you start building up your, your resilience, actually. So, but today I like it. How cold was it when you jumped in? Because that, that matters. Was it two Celsius or 18 Celsius or somewhere in between? Uh, well, so cold water, cold water is 15 degrees and below. Um, and the reason why I say that is because we can see in the literature that um, that by the time the water hits 15 degrees and, and below, we there's been some observations on people getting uh, activation of the cold shock and also accidents. That, so that's the, the, the registration we have seen in, in, the, in, the, in records, at least. So 15 degrees and below is where you will activate your sympathetic nervous system. Um, by the time I went into the water, it was October. Uh, so in Denmark, the, the temperature in the water would be around maybe eight, five. Yeah, around that. Yeah, but, but this year, it's, the water is really warm. We had a really warm summer. But mm -hmm. usually, it's around maybe eight, nine, 10 degrees or something like that in October. It could be colder, but yeah, I remember it was super cold at least. <laughs> Is there a law of diminishing returns? You know, do you get the same effect at 14 degrees as you get at two degrees or how does that work? So there is probably like a dose response effect on, on temperature. Um, and you can also feel it on your breathing because if you go into water that is two degrees, you will have a much larger uh, activation of your sympathetic nervous system that that is your fight and flight system. So, of course, you will have a more rapid increase of all the, the hormones, so adrenaline, noradrenaline, and cortisol, which will make you, you can say, fight for your life. Um, but that would mean that you can stay in a shorter time, of course, in the water. So mm -hmm. you have to adjust to the, the temperature as well. But most important of all is just to feel how it feels for you. So mm -hmm. as soon as you, you feel too uncomfortable, the body will tell you, now is enough, now you go up. And you have to listen to that. Uh, but building up, you will have to accept that you can only stay for a certain amount of time uh, and don't compete with anyone because people are different. 
So some will be fine with just building up to maybe one minute or two minutes, three minutes, and no reason to stay in longer, no matter what temperature it is, uh, I would say. Um, and then some are just fine with just a short dip. You will get the activation of the sympathetic nervous system anyways. So, but in the beginning, you will not be able to stay for a minute. That is also something people will have to accept that it's, it's like training. It's like going to the fitness center. You will have to build this up. Your cells will have to adapt. So, so a novice like me, you're saying maybe just get in for 30 seconds. And I, I think that takes the fear response away as well a little bit because you're, you're realizing it's only for 30 seconds. 30 seconds is also long. I mean, it, your first dip will just be a few seconds. You can go in and maybe count to five and then go up because, I mean, the next time you can count to 10 and then to 30. And then at some point, you will be able to stay in the water until the cold shock subsides. And that would take you around 40 seconds, one minute. Some people, it's one and a half minutes. It's a little bit different. It's a little bit individual, but it seems that if you can get over the cold shock, if you can use your breathing, concentrate on your breathing, getting low and light, then you can relax in the water. You can, you can switch from sympathetic activation of your nervous system to the parasympathetic activation. And when you can do that, you can at some point rest and you will feel the switch. I think it's amazing. I remember the day where I could sit in the water and I, I was swimming, but then I was sitting and actually holding my hands above the water because I get so cold hands. Um, and I remember the first day where I actually got over the cold shock response and I immediately felt the calmness in my body. It was, it was like getting over to the other side. It was amazing. And it was, it was a very cold day with fog on, it was a lake, I remember. And it was just so beautiful. I have made a core memory about that. <laughs> it's just, it was so beautiful. So Patrick, one day you will have to try and just build it up a bit. And then you will see that something it's amazing not, is it's happening. It's not unlike breathing because I've, mm -hmm. you know, when you get it, get the switch, you get yeah. saliva in your mouth and you can just like with breathing, Patrick, slow breathing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's not like breath holding. Like if you tell somebody to hold their breath for several minutes, it's too stressful. You start slow. The only difference is that the cold is, you know, temperature driven. So you, you may not be able to do it in the summer, but I think there are many similarities with breathing as far mm -hmm. as uh, you have an, a little bit of an aversion to breath holding and some of those exercises yeah. Yeah. that are more stressful. Yeah. But once you get used to it slowly, yeah. you would it's mm -hmm. a lot about fear, I think. So fear of getting into the cold, fear of breath hold. It's uh, the feeling of breath, uh, breathlessness, I think. Uh, a lot of my subjects, um, I, had, I did a randomized controlled trial um, of, um, it was 30 um, subjects in this study. It's not published yet, but uh, I trained them from never tried winter swimming before. And of course, I, we went, to, me and my team, we went to the sea with them and had, and maybe three, four, five times, because we, we wanted to make sure that they were not stopping their winter swimming because of fear of the water, because fear is not something we can use for anything. So if they don't want to continue in, in winter swimming, it should be because it's, they are not having it, they're not feeling it afterwards. But the first few times, the, the reports coming back to me was that people were, were felt breathless and that was not a, a great feeling of course but that was the biggest fear not being able to breathe so uh, 
what I really, really encourage people to do is think about the breathing before you go into the water. So calm yourself down before you go into the water. Take some deep breaths on uh, the little and just, just on the jetty and just stand there for a bit. Relax yourself. Do some breathing techniques, but in a relaxing way. I don't encourage people to hyperventilate because you're already warm because you just came from home or where you maybe you were running. You're already warm enough. You just have to calm your nervous system so you can go into the water because then the cold shot will activate the sympathetic nervous system, but you are already in the training of lowering your breath and mm. that you can use in the water. I think just something tremendous in terms of mental health here because in terms of breathing, as Daniel was saying, you surrender to it. Now, I've done a few ice baths, but like XPT, and they were four minutes in duration. I just never went back to them again. Uh, <laughs> So and I have we put in ice baths, we put in we've infrared sauna, we've everything here. And uh, yeah, so shame on me. But <laughs> it's it's really about so what you're saying, Suzanne, is when people get into the water, they are feeling breathless in the water. Yeah. And this is something that they don't like. So really, it's about having some command over your breathing that yeah. here you're in the face of adversity and your breathing is getting fast, which is going to happen in any situation that's stressful. Yeah, exactly. Any physiological, any mental stressful situation. And it's really about developing the tools then to be able to take control, to self-regulate, whether it's in the water or whether it's in situations outside of the water. So there's a lot going on. And even though I have to say your book, Winter Swimming, and I'll show towards the end as well, it's a beautifully crafted book. Thank you. And what you've included in it with photographs of real people not just instagram people which can be very much a turnoff that you're making it accessible to the normal populations the degree to which this has been practiced around the world because we had this conversation with Seth daniel and yourself beforehand that very often we think it's only isolated say for example for finland for sweden for the nordic countries for denmark etc but it's, it's actually practiced worldwide, internationally. And it's not just, this is not just a movement at the moment. This has been practiced for decades. Yes. There's nothing new about this. No, it's, there's nothing new about it. But I mean, there's been like more, you can see more research on it uh, the last maybe 20 years and also metabolism wise, um, which I've been studying. Um, but also there's been a pandemic, which apparently also really, it really took off during the pandemic, right? And it really uh, it builds into what you just said about uh, mental health, because uh, the lockdown didn't really do anything good for us, I would say, <laughs> mentally. So people are more stressed and they have more anxiety um, and they feel more lonely, I think. So going, uh, going out to the water and, and getting this um, increase in in neurotransmitters such as dopamine increase uh, by 250% or even more, uh, just by a short dip actually, and also uh, norepinephrine um, and uh, endorphins uh, increasing too, which makes us happy. It's our happiness hormones. Um, and it makes us more calm because when you submerge in the water, you activate the parasympathetic nervous system and uh, serotonin goes up. And that is what you need for the mental balance. And that that is that holds on for hours after your cold dip. So what people did was actually they were seeking excitement, I think also maybe people were a bit bored, but then they found out, well, this is actually making me more happy and, and more joyful, more relaxed afterwards. So in relation to mental health, 
I think this is really interesting um, when it comes to curing maybe depression and also anxiety or holding it in, in aid, you can say. Um, so I have seen that people uh, use this, but this is, of course, on, on anecdotal uh, <laughs> evidence, if you can call it that, or stories. Um, mm, yeah, but it has to start somewhere in terms of so yeah. you're seeing the observations and in time, then yeah. the signs will, will show the connection or at least will uncover it. Yeah. Um, but you're saying that initially when you get into the water, you're activating a sympathetic response. So you're feeling the stress there and then you're surrendering to it. So that's transforming then from a sympathetic activation to relaxation response. Yes. So, okay. Mm, but what what people need is a tool to do to know how to do this because the fear starts when you don't know what to do you don't know how to breathe you don't know what to do when you go into the water so i think it's really really important and that was also important for my my studies in my research uh, when i told i guided them into the water and told them exactly before so they knew how to go into the water empty your lungs i always say so when they go in they should exhale because then they make capacity to breathe in more air. Because when you go in you will, and you're not adapted, you will have uh, an activation of uh, your sympathetic nervous system and that will increase uh, hyperventilation. And then you will have a very high and, and shallow breathing. You cannot get the air down. But if you exhale completely before the first step in the water, you will have a bigger capacity to breathe uh, deeply. So that is one thing. The other thing is doing the, 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 the light breathing before you go into the water. So standing on the, on, on the beach or jetty or before your bath or what it is you're using and just practice getting your uh, activation of your parasympathetic nervous system. Then it will be easier for you going into that breathing again as soon as you step into the water. We, we spoke a little bit earlier here before the podcast about measuring, have you used any measuring devices? Because if you have the, like myself, the water ring, for example, you can see that switch when you become calmer after a certain, and it doesn't happen to me every time, but have you used any of that on yourself or the ones you've taught? Yeah, so we've used a, a Garmin uh, watch and uh, with that we can see um, the heart rate um, and also the, um, swim strokes how many strokes did they take and we can see that how much the pulse actually went up and also how fast it actually declined again because what is normally said is that you have a, um, an increase in heart rate as soon as you go into the water and you will definitely have that if you are an unexperienced winter swimmer also because you are a bit anxious and nervous about going into the water and it's probably mostly that but because the cold shock is so short, you will, because of the activation of the parasympathetic nervous system and the, the vagus nerve, you will have a decrease in the heart rate as well. And that is what, why you can see people sitting in water for maybe a minute, two minutes, three minutes and not hyperventilate. That is because they have calmed their nervous system to the parasympathetic activation. So you can definitely use your, your breath to, to get into that state. And you can use that in your everyday as well. So that is another thing. Mm. Do you, but do you, so you actually mostly you swim, you don't sit still because there's a difference. I do between, both. I do, do both. both. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I do both. Well, yeah. it's because sometimes 
if I can't reach the bottom of the sea, then of course I would, I would have okay. to do a swim. Uh, but yep. sometimes I just like to swim as well because then I activate my muscles. And you yep. have like two systems in your body that, you, that can activate the heat. Um, that is the brown fat, which will be activated at first. But at some point, that will not be enough to, uh, to uh, defend your, your core uh, temperature. And then the muscles will, of course, help you. But if you are swimming, then the muscles will help you immediately to keep yourself warmer. And uh, actually, so swimming is actually a good thing because then you will have more heat in your body. But you will also have changing the temperature because of the thermal layer will be, will be cold all the time. So yep. uh, yeah, of the water. So it's because quite a balance. Like we said earlier, if you dig into it, like there's a layer, a heat layer, if you sit completely still. Yes, exactly. And also if you take your hands and even your feet outside, there's a difference if you really want yeah. to get into it. So, yeah. But um, I really want to make a point there because there are some people thinking that taking your hands out of the water is like cheating. And, mm -hmm. and I really don't think it is because uh, you don't have to submerge your whole body to get benefits of this or get your uh, activation right or you can say it it's not necessary um because we've been we have done studies not only me but other researchers as well where we see that submerging just a hand or a foot in cold water at four degrees for four minutes uh, which is a long time but we could see immediately that there is an activation of the brown fat and we there's also studies done in fishermen's where we can see that because they work with their hands in cold water all the time doing cleaning the fish and, and mm -hmm. stuff <laughs> and what they do. Um, but we can see that they have a, a cold adaptation other places in the body. It's not just the hands that they can have a long time in the cold water. It's also the legs and, and rest of the body. So cold adaptation is not, is not necessarily the whole body or getting your head <clears throat> submerged. You don't really have to. And because I get so cold on my hands, <clears throat> sorry, um, I take them up because then I can sit in the, the water a longer time. Of course I do a swim, but then I take them up afterwards because then I'm able maybe to sit a little bit longer and, and get my two, three minutes or, or how long time I wanna sit there. Yeah, I think that's a good point you made there because some people can sit, but they can't have their, sometimes their feet or their hands because they have problems. Yeah. With that. So they can still get that benefit while doing it. So it's these little tips and tricks that people may not necessarily know. So mm. it's good to know that if you do it that way, at least you can get the benefit, even though your hands are not in the water. Exactly. So, yeah. You can wear gloves as well and, and also neoprene shoes. Um, I do that all the time, but that's also because my uh, my fear of touching uh, the, the, the ground in, in the sea because I can't see it. And, and that's a little bit, maybe just me, I don't know, but I, I wear the shoes because then I don't have to think about that. I can concentrate on my breathing and I could do a little swim because I really love that um, and sit there for longer if I take my hands off. And I get the benefits, so yeah. How, how long would you normally, I mean, I was individual, but would you recommend somebody to be in until they calm their breathing or uh, because you said an exhale before you go in and breathe light, what do you kind of tell them when you're in the water? Um, do you have any certain protocol for people? Uh, yeah, well, I always tell them to lower their breath, of course, um, and, and try to calm themselves down by 
uh, do a, a, a deep uh, inhalation and try to do it slow as well. So deep and light and slow, actually. So by doing that, they will get the activation of the parasympathetic nervous system quicker. Um, and they also, of course, they will have a vasodilation as well, which will mean in the beginning, it will be like a struggle between getting cold adapted and also opening your veins. So you will actually quickly get cold by the parasympathetic activation. But at some point you will be able to vasoconstrict that well in your skin that you will not get that cold by, uh, by activating your parasympathetic activation with slow breathing. So mm -hmm. it's like there's also a, a building up and a switch where the body needs to, to get uh, um, yeah. So you were kind of you were kind of saying, listen to your body. Yeah. It's it's not always an easy one because you could say to yourself, and well, I'm going to be macho here, so I'm going to keep on <laughs> saying to myself, I should stay in longer and longer and longer, and then yeah. one overdoes it. And sometimes yeah. extremes. Sometimes I feel with people with with breathing, they can push you to the extremes. That there's different personality types, and I can yeah. understand that the individuals who are the long breath holds are also the ones that are going to jump into the water as well. <laughs> So how would you know if you're overdoing it? Would you, would you know by your shivering afterwards that it takes you so long to get back to normal temperature? Or yeah, I know it, Daniel's looking at aura ring and things like that, but say for a normal individual, how would they know? Yeah, so that's, that's a really good question. And I think that, the, that, that is right. Uh, if, you feel, if you feel bad in the water and you start shivering, that is the, your, definitely your last cue to get off. You should not shiver in the water because then you know your temperature has de decreased too much. Um, and I think that I, I did like a, um, a small uh, table in my, in my book where it says exactly what is happening. What can you feel when the temperature reaches 30, 36 degrees that is decreasing one degree in your core and also what happens at 35 degrees. And when it reaches 35, you will have the shivering and you should not have that. That is okay. there's absolutely no reason to go there. So when you feel a little bit like the tingle in your skin has gone away and you feel like a cold shiver towards your core, it's like a feeling. It's, it's something you can feel. Then it's definitely time to get up because okay. one thing you need to know is when you are in the water, that is not when you are the coldest in your core you will have what is called the afterdrop when you have been in the water. So when you get up from the water, the, the blood vessels will dilate and the, the blood in your core will, of course, go to your tissues and your skin, and that will decrease the temperature of the blood. And that goes back to your core. And then the, the temperature receptors will, will, of course, pick that up, sends a signal to the temperature regulating center in the brain, and then it it feel, well, now we're getting even colder. So when you get up from your cold dip, you will have a decrease in your temperature in the cold even after that. So don't stay until you absolutely feel this is getting too much. Don't push it. There's absolutely also no reason because we see the health benefits happening within a few minutes. And after that, it plateaus. So there's no reason to stay longer. And this is everything to do with homesis as well. I don't know if we should talk about that, but... What yeah, why not? I think it's good. we're talking about <laughs> okay. but, but, so. but, I, but I think Patrick that it goes back if you do the link to uh, breath holds, mm. like mm. the diaphragm. If you do breath hold, your diaphragm will start contracting more and more. If you're experienced, it will take longer. Same with 
if you're in the cold, you feel these downs after whatever, a minute and then after a minute. When, when they come more and more often, just like, you know, like the contractions of the diaphragm, it's kind of telling you you're stressing the system. So at least for me, mm -hmm. so yes. you have these subjective measures as well uh, yeah. that would experience, I would say. Yeah. But also when you are a new winter swimmer or cold dipper, you will have shivering afterwards. And the shivering is not in itself uh, anything dangerous, but it's just the muscle warming you up, which is a good thing. Uh, but if you if you experience that many times or all the time, actually, then you would know maybe you just stay in for a short amount of time because then you will learn the body will learn to heat itself up, but not to extremes because I mean then it, it, it doesn't feel that great to uh, to feel that shivering for hours afterwards. Mm -hmm. So you will have to adjust it to yourself. It's all about body composition and it's about your, yeah, it's it's really difficult to like say, this is how you should do it. And this is just the protocol. You cannot do that, but we can set up some, some uh, you can say, uh, advice around how, how much you should do. But as far as the literature goes, it, you shouldn't stay in the water for 10 minutes or 15 minutes, which some very competitive people would do and pushing it to the extremes, there's mm -hmm. no reason to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So how would you tell somebody to, uh, now is a perfect time to start or maybe a month ago, but how would you tell them to kind of build the habit? And if, and if it is in the middle of the winter, how do you have a like a general, like just go down to the knee or, uh, for 30 seconds, do you have a certain like um, protocol or adaptation for somebody who's a complete beginner? Well, a complete beginner, I would say start after summer um, or just continue your summer swimming into the winter because then your your the season, the temperature and nature and, and weather will just do the conditions for you. So if you can swim in the summer and you just continue that, then it will be much easier for you to adapt to the temperature decreasing um, um, just slowly, because then you don't have to get the immediate cold shock if you start in December or January when winter is at its peak. Uh, so it's easier for yourself to start in, in the summer. It's also more safe because there's also, of course, some safety around this. Um, so people yeah. with heart diseases or high uh, blood pressure not treated, um, um, that is, uh, people are usually tell not to do winter swimming or they should do, go to their doctor and talk to them about it because it is really difficult to, to say that everybody can just start winter swimming because as I told you before, the, the conflict of uh, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system, one raises the heart rate and blood pressure and the other one brings it down and that makes the conflict to the heart. And you can almost, if you tried winter swimming or dipping, you can maybe remember that the heart is like, oh, it's like struggling the first few seconds of it. And if you have a heart problems, I would, I would say you should be careful about that. But starting out from summer would definitely be less stressful for your cardiovascular system. And in terms of when we're looking at breathing exercise, people with anxiety, we have to go really, really gentle because especially when we give them air hunger, because mm -hmm. that air hunger can put them into a stress response. Is there anybody with, say, predisposition towards anxiety or panic disorder that they have to go even easier than somebody without those issues? Mm. Or do you see do you see that difference or not? Mm. 
I haven't really trained a group of people with an anxiety or um, or or depression as mm-hmm. such. Um, so I cannot really talk about that on a scientific level. But my observation is that that people with anxiety and depression are doing winter swimming, mm-hmm. and uh, and they start out slow. But I would say it's it's it would be the same for everybody because it's it's all individual. You have to to you have to feel it yourself. How much can I do? But relaxing before you go in, having anxiety or not, having a slow breath before you go in and, and exhale completely will help you in the water. But mm-hmm. nobody, everybody will have an increase in their heart rate in, in, in the first few seconds. And everybody will have an activation from the cold shock. So having anxiety could trigger even more anxiety with going in. So they maybe mm-hmm. have to take it even more slow is my reasoning. Sure, sure. Yeah. yeah. So what about uh, as far dipping the face in cold water or even submerged? Uh, are there any benefits from that or should you or should you not do it? What, what are you, what's your experience? What, the face can be very good to put cold water in your face because that is also giving you a, this energy boost uh, uh, for, um, and also noradrenaline release from, from your nervous system. But I mean, you don't have to dunk your head under the water to get uh, the benefits uh, of uh, dipping in cold water. So I usually say that we don't have to. Uh, there's also a safety around it um, because when you submerge your body up to your neck, uh, you will have studies show that you will have a decrease of blood flow to the brain of 30% or even more. So dunking your head even more, that will increase that shock. And you have the risk of, of course, hitting your head or drowning, and you don't really need that. So, so for safety, I always say there's no need to, and for health benefits, there's also no need to. But sometimes when I'm out in the sea and we have really clean water here so I take some water and just splash it in my face because then I get that refreshing feeling afterwards because um, it's also very much uh, calming your yourself but it's also because it activates the parasympathetic nervous the vagal nerve by putting cold water in your face so that, yeah. that could be nice too it's because of a mammalian reflex as well if mm. you, if you yes. get, the, get the get the heart rate down so there's uh, maybe it's not something you do the first day, but it's interesting uh, to maybe to maybe use as well. So just wanted to get your input on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's very interesting in terms of the reduced blood flow to the brain. So I'm assuming that's this is the body is conserving energy and the heart rate is really slowing down bradycardia, as Daniel was talking about. Yeah. But is there any positives as a result of reducing blood flow to the brain like that? Because for example, when we're doing breath holding, we would advise never lower your blood oxygen saturation to below 50% because this is when you can have a reduction of blood flow to the brain. But if you hold your breath until you drop to about 8%, you can actually have an increase of blood flow to the brain. So I'm kind of surprised with the cold that it would actually cause a reduction of blood flow. Mm -hmm. And you would think that the body is going to look after the brain and the heart so that the there's peripheral circulation is going to constrict and this blood is diverted into the more essential organs yeah. to maintain survival. So that's not the case. No, I'm surprised as well. I, I must say that uh, that is maybe why that's 
those studies actually also performed in Denmark. I was mm. quite surprised when I saw it. I was like, this, this is really interesting because mm. I would think that the brain must be very vital for us to, uh, to, to, to increase the blood flow. And, and people always say that, oh, when you go into the cold water, you have an increase in blood flow to the brain, but it's quite opposite apparently. And these studies were, they were performed in a laboratory where they had these um, uh, big um, tube where they put people in and for exactly 30 seconds and then took them up again and at zero degrees. So it was really, really cold as well. So zero uh, Celsius. Um, but what is important here, I think, is that that is why we should be a bit cautious around dunking the head in, in the water and also going alone because the low blood flow to the brain can cause people to, to faint uh, yeah, yeah. in the water as well. So mm. uh, I always but say I never, think, never go alone. <laughs> yes. yeah. But I think, Patrick and Senna, maybe it's got something to do with the temperature. There's a big difference between zero and 15 Celsius. There's a big difference between going down to 80% on this oxygen saturation of 50%. Same as training. It's a big difference between jogging for one hour or going all out for 20 seconds. So the intensity of the temperature, the intensity of the breath hold matters. It's, you can't, you can't, in my opinion, you can't just say, well, if you're 15 for 20 minutes, it's not the same as very, very cold. It's same with training. That's why yeah. you get a different effect. And maybe that is the reason down to a certain point you get increased but below that it goes into a different mm. gear and for me that makes it wouldn't make sense not knowing but i i know from experience it's, it's like when people say burning calories it's very different doing low intensity high intensity on on the shock of your body and and different gears come come into play so maybe there's something again that, that could be something gradually there happening, of yeah. course. So the warmer the water is, the, the more uh, uh, blood flow you will have in your brain when you go into the water. But I think that because that is really hard for people to distinguish when should I then yeah. dunk my head and not dunk my head, I just say that there is no reason to. There is absolutely nothing showing that this is going to do anything good for you. So, yeah. So, but I think that 15 degrees and below is very cold. Uh, and, uh, and also it's relative. There's also something relative to this. So if your skin is very uh, warm, you, will, you can get a cold shock at a, at a higher degree. But if you are a bit cold already, then the cold shock will be less. So, and some people are, are just warmer than other people. So it's really- So, so, so this then is going to matter then if you're going from a hot sauna into the cold bath and then back into the hot sauna again. So what's the yeah. difference between that then and normal temperature, the atmospheric temperature going into the, the water? Sorry, once again. So say you've, you're going from a, a hot sauna. Yeah. You're, you're feeling really, really hot. Yeah. And now you're jumping into a cold bath and you're yeah. going from one extreme right down to the other the extreme. Other one. Yeah. So that's going to increase your cold shock, of course, uh, mm. because you, you're, the relative difference is, is quite big at this moment when you come straight from the very hot sauna. Um, and that is also why I think it's not really that important if it's 15 degrees or it's 12 degrees, but there's a difference in 15 and, and zero, of course. But if you just look at the relative difference, then you will have a cold shock response no matter what. So yeah, again, the blood flow to mm. the brain will decrease. You do that as well. What is there a difference between doing just going down, doing a, a cold exposure versus doing 
sauna first, cold, and then sauna again, or the, the, the various combinations ending with a sauna. Have you noticed a difference in what happens with people when they mix it or versus just doing cold exposure? So that I, I haven't really done any studies where I have compared this, so not on a scientific level, I cannot tell you. But what I did in my research was um, based on all the observations that I did and also what is happening in your metabolism, I would say that because of my hypothesis saying that the cold would activate your metabolism, I said that a, my protocol should be that people should start in the cold to decrease the, the skin temperature, and then they go into the sauna and back to the cold, back to the sauna, and then they end on cold. Because if you end on cold, then you force your body to reheat itself. And that will, will of course take energy. And the energy comes from activating your brown fat and activating your muscles. Eventually when you get home, you will maybe start shivering a bit. Um, and uh, that is really good for your health. So if you don't overdo it or do it extremely, then it's good and it's really good for you. Um, so, I, I learned the hard way that it's not it's not necessarily good to go from cold to heat, cold to heat when the contrast is 90 Celsius too quickly. It actually have to be very careful about that. So yeah, I always say that people should just stand on stand on the bridge or just wait a bit to cool down in the wind. Uh, so they have what we talked about. So the cold shock response to go submerging yourself will be a little bit less. So it should of course be uh, done carefully but also never alone so that is also really, for safety really important but luckily yeah. patrick you 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 got a, a mile or two down to the ocean from your <laughs> you, you have way yes to so envious huh i can <laughs> i can see it it's a bit i can almost see galway bay but it's a little bit uh overcast at the minute well, we have it. we have an infrared sauna down there as well so there's no yeah. excuses as said like, <laughs> you, you should know. have Definitely try. Oh, it's put me totally. I'm feeling so guilty having this podcast. You know, I'm sitting here and I'm saying no contribution whatsoever to make. We'll do a repeat podcast in a few weeks, Pat, where we'll see what uh, what you've oh, done. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no other choice. Um, Susanna, for somebody who wouldn't be familiar with brown fat and um, what's the benefits and what's the comparisons, and do some people naturally have more brown fat than others? Yeah. And what's the whole aspect in terms of weight loss and things like that. Mm. So the brown fat is a very remarkable tissue that we have in our body. Nobody really knows about it. It's, it's really something new that it, we started researching. And, um, but we have known about it since uh, the, I think it was the 1500 or something. It, it, there was this research of finding brown fat in the, this, uh, this animal and saw that the, it's a hibernating uh, animal and, uh, and saw that it was activated with cold. But then the researchers found that it was also in, in, in animals that was not hi in hibernation. So, and then they got confused and they put down the research and didn't want to look at it again because it was very confusing. But what the brown fat does, and we found out a little bit later, was that it, when it's activated with cold, it increases the metabolism by uh, taking in uh, sugar and fat from the bloodstream, and then it releases heat, as you can say, the product. Um, and it's activated uh, immediately as soon as the skin gets cold. Um, so that is because of norepinephrine release. So when we're cold, it activates norepinephrine from the brain. And uh, the brown fat, which is located very close to the central nervous system, so 
in humans at least, it's up here uh, under the supraclavicular bones and down the spine. Um, and a little bit around the kidneys, a little bit around the heart, uh, which also makes sense. Um, so when it's activated, it keeps our vital organs warm. And it happens within like minutes, yeah, seconds, actually. I could tell from my studies doing um, measuring with an infrared um, thermography a camera, I could see the activation immediately. But what it does is that when it's activated, it takes up sugar and, and the fat from the bloodstream as fuel to keep it uh, activated and keep us warm uh, from the inside. Um, and some people have more than others, which we started looking into by 2000, uh, by the millennium actually. And we saw that some people have more and that is apparently uh, the, the younger you are, and the, when you reach around 40, 50 years old, we can see a decrease. Also, at the same time, when we see that obesity goes up. So we don't really know if obesity is happening because you have a reduction in your brown fat or the brown fat or the obesity is making the brown fat shrink. So we don't really know which way it really goes. Mm. But there is so much research in this showing also that the brown fat is very dependent on insulin, like the muscles. So if you are insulin resistant, which obese mm -hmm. subjects are, uh, people are, um, you will have a difficulty activating the brown fat. Um, so it could be that if you, you, have, uh, you are above normal uh, BMI, you will have less uh, of the brown fat. And if you are younger and normal BMI, you have more. We see in babies, mm. babies have a lot of brown fat. And before the millennium, we thought that, well, the brown fat is only for babies because um, they have a lot and we can see it on, on the back of them. Um, so they have that because they cannot shiver in the muscles in the first, I don't know, six months or something like that. So they need the brown fat to keep themselves warm. And then mm. it, it vanishes a bit. It, it shrinks uh, with age, uh, but we can activate the brown fat and keep it alive, you can say, uh, and use it uh, for increasing our metabolism if we go into some kind of cold. And I know that I took the model of uh, winter swimming, but studies also show that if you sleep in a cold room at 19 degrees for a month, studies show that these subjects increase the amount of brown fat it's not that big, but it's like <laughs> mm -hmm. they increased the amount of brown fat that they had. They got um, more, um, um, what do you say? They got um, a lower, uh, a higher insulin sensitivity and also a faster, you can say, uh, uh, blood sugar um, um, uh, reduction uh, in the bloodstream. And mm. when the same subjects then slept in the, in the room at 24 degrees and the later months at 27 degrees, they saw that the amount of brown fat is shrinked again. So it's definitely something that we can build uh, the brown fat if we go into the cold or sleep in the cold or go in the cold wind. Because when, when we do that, uh, we activate it and that will, will increase the amount of mitochondria in the cells. And also we can maybe brown some of the the white fat cells into what we call base fat cells. Now we have the whole uh, color scale of 
beige, brown, and, and white fat cells. So, but they are very distinguished, the white fat cell and the brown fat cell, because the brown fat cell has lots of mitochondria and can, you could say, uh, it can use the white fat as fuel, but the white fat is not that easily activated. And we know that also from exercise, it's really hard to get, to get it activated and get rid of it or empty the, the white fat cells. But we can do that with the cold because the brown fat is going to use it um, as fuel. That's we, want, we want more of it. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's so cool. So it's almost as if it's going back to basics, like our ancestors would have been exposing themselves to colder environments. Yeah. And we now we're so comfort creatures yeah. that we don't do that. So does the sauna have the opposite effect or is that a stupid question? Uh, it's not a stupid question. It's a really good question. Uh, and I love it because... Uh, now we've been talking about the brown fat as a, a tissue that is only activated by the cold, mm. but actually it's also activated by heat. So you can maybe look at, yeah, because you also have an increase in norepinephrine, but it's also, I think we should look at the brown fat as like a, a temperature balancing organ in our body. It's just trying to make you survive. It doesn't really want anything else. It, it, it has to use fuel to heat you up and keep you warm. But if you get too warm, it activates so you can dilate your vessels and get rid of your heat. So it's also <laughs> so it's well, really that's music. This is absolutely music <laughs> to my ears because I was in the sauna this morning yeah. and yesterday morning and all those mornings. Yeah. So now yeah. you're saying I don't even need to go to the cold. All I have to do is go to the sauna. <laughs> you should do both. You should do both. <laughs> I think so, because my studies actually show that you also but it makes sense going into the heat because it shows that you will have an increase in insulin sensitivity and also you will get faster rid of the sugar in your bloodstream. Uh, but doing the contrast therapy shows exactly the same, which my studies showed, I published last year. So doing both, you will, you will have an increase in mitochondria from going into the cold. But when you go into the heat, the heat will help you use those mitochondria in an efficient way. So they they kind of like complement each other. Complement each other, yeah, exactly. That's so, so cool. Yeah. <laughs> what about afterwards? Have you what have you seen in subjects or yourself as well? Uh, once you're when, once you come up, what you know what happens in your body uh, physically, and what and how long does the dopamine effect last, and so on? Because I guess for most people, they want they want the after effect. So what, what happens when, once you get up? So the effects of the higher release of norepinephrine and dopamine and serotonin lasts for hours afterwards. I believe it's, it could be two hours or up to four hours after your dip. So that is also when people report back, they say, I feel really, really good in hours after my winter swim or my sauna. sauna. Uh, and it really makes sense when it comes to what the literature shows uh, regarding dopamine and norepinephrine. So I think it's really something where we can put on the new transmitters afterwards, but also warming the body afterwards. It, you get this really comfortable warm in your body. It feels like, I think it feels like just after I've been training, I get this really relaxing feeling in my body. Like I've used it in a really, really good way. I get the same feeling from, using the contrast therapy going into the cold and heat. Um, so I think it, it, pre, it pretty much does the same, um, you can say, um, homesis in the cells, where it's 
the cells are um, trained to become stronger. And that is also what you do when you go for a run or you go training. So it's exercise for your body when you use the cold and the heat. Mm, it's really interesting. And I was reading as well in your book about the bioreflex mm -hmm. that you're going to have to strengthen it. So you've got a very strong influence on the autonomic nervous system to make one more resilient through that. How does the process work, though, in terms of strengthening the bioreflex? It's something as well. I, I never get my head around the interrelationship between the vagus nerve and the bioreflex and they're connected mm. and how that's influencing then heart rate variability. But in terms of the cold, because I'm conscious just in terms of time, we're, we're nearly drawing to a close. But uh, yeah. the bioreflex the bar is, is an interesting phenomenon, because if we can strengthen that, we can improve the autonomic nervous system and we can bring everything into balance Yeah. in terms of people with mental and physical issues. So the cold goes way beyond. It, it's applicable so to, to pretty much everybody with any sort of issue, if that's the case. Yeah, it seems like that. I mean, again, going back to people with uh, heart problems or high blood pressure, there is, of course, some precautions there. Um, but I think that people should, people are different, of course. And they, if they do it on, on, if they don't follow like a certain protocol, but they have to like feel how it, how it does, mm -hmm. yeah, how it is for themselves. It's not yeah. really something that you can just, say that everybody should do it in the same way, but people increase their resilience in different ways. And also what you are talking about, the mental health, it's gonna be different protocol for people, but there are some studies showing how much you, you, you could do to get the health benefits. Yeah, but the, the question about the baroreceptors and well, I think we need more research on exactly that and also regarding the breathing and the code, that could be really interesting mm. going, going further, yeah. It's what actually different breathing techniques when applied in terms of what's it doing to the autonomic nervous system. Yeah, yep. it's yep. really cool. Um, uh, I'm just conscious. Sorry, Daniel. No, I just had a final question. When you said that, it would have been interesting because you said, you know, you go down and you, you go in normally to a winter swim, fairly relaxed. But if you came from a hard workout, like two minutes before, like or the football team or whatever, yeah. Then you're so then your heart rate is already ramped up, and of course your body heat is. But that's a little bit different, at least for me. Do you have any thoughts on that? Like you come in to, from a different angle if you have a really really tough workout and go straight in. Uh, is the yeah. response or different? I wouldn't recommend it to go straight in. Uh, I've seen people just jumping in. I mean, young people, and yeah. um, maybe that is more okay. But I think. I actually think that people should be a bit cautious around that because as we talked about the relative difference it also in, in, in skin temperature because they are really hot at this point um, and also already have a high uh, heart rate. So maybe spend some time just standing there lowering your heart rate and getting into that state of mind where you are thinking now I'm going into the cold and the purpose of that is actually to lower my, my breathing and to activate my parasympathetic nervous system and not to just get the, the excitement of the cold water. I mean, it could be that people just want that. And then that, that's fine too. But if you, if you want to like get that mental balanced feeling afterwards um, and also use, um, yeah, use the, the benefits of the, the chemicals in the brain, I think that people should try and 
and build up the resilience and, and the getting calm in the water. And then they will have really good after uh, feeling of uh, the neurotransmitters afterwards. So I don't think that people should jump into the water. Definitely not if they are very hot from a, from a run or a training or something like that. Yep. Just getting a little bit chilled on, on the bridge would be good. Yeah. So in terms of bringing it to a close, um, I'd just like to show Susanna's book and you see the cover of it here, it's called Winter Swimming. <laughs> and the one thing I love about this book is aside from the fact that it's really well put together and it's very informative, there's real people. We're Thank not you. just talking about Instagram and these sculpted bodies that typically when we see a photograph nowadays, we don't see real people. We've actually a guy who's totally naked there <laughs> yes so no and um yeah so i would yeah. i think this is a great resource for anybody who wants to delve into this a little bit more where would people get your book susanna uh so people can get my book on amazon um and uh, there, uh you can just type in amazon and just my name and they will, it will pop up uh, but also on instagram i have a link in my bio where you can click and you can have multiple choices for where to to get the book as well and so what's your instagram uh, it's uh, my name, Susanna Super, with an O-E, um, so S-U-S-A-N-N-A, and S-O-E-B-E-R-G, okay. Susanna Super. Excellent. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. It was great meeting you back two months ago. And I think, Daniel, this is a great conversation. All things yeah, cold. Have many, many more questions, but I mean, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm pressed for time, so I'm, I'm conscious of that. So we'll, we'll do a repeat when, when you feel comfortable, Patrick, doing the... Uh, the cold bath so well, well, that could be so fun. no pressure <laughs> no pressure yeah, thanks very good. much guys thank you for having me it was fun very welcome great stuff good stuff good bye. bye bye thank you for listening to the oxygen advantage podcast if you liked what you heard please subscribe and maybe take the time to leave us a review the oxygen advantage podcast is available from all your podcast providers